don't want to see you coming back in here with fucking jerseys. I want to see you coming back in here with bloodstained jerseys. Look at anybody going sitting have a pint with those boys after that. And the referee is looking around and acting as Mickey. Tell the children to play tennis or something. If they want to play tennis, go and play tennis. What's the crack? Welcome to the Three Man Weave, the Balls Out of EGA podcast. What a weekend that was, or at least half of it anyway. Mick is with me here. Mick, how's the form? I'm good, Morris. I'm still uh, basking in the afterglow of Shane Lowry's victory. Well, you know, I have a lot to say about the GEA, but I don't think I've got the same kind of buzz about it as, it, as I normally would. Isn't it gas? It's like, it's, that, it's a classic revisionism thing. Like, all Saturday, you were raging at the quality of sport, but particularly getting football, and then Sunday, it looks like it's going to get started again. And then Lowry starts to win and Kerry and Regal are up class. And you're like, oh, this was brilliant. But it's, <laughs> it all depends on how it finishes. PJ Brown is here with me as well. PJ, how's the form? Good, Morris. It's uh, good to be subbing in here for Mark. I presume he's just sitting at home in Kevin, enjoying Kevin, loving Kevin, talking about Kevin. Like, uh, like he actually has, uh, he, he's, he's temporarily resigned from the podcast because of our lack of cavern talk over the last three weeks. Right. Um, I tried to explain to him that being out of the championship necessitates. necessitates. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why he didn't understand it. <laughs> no, Joel, let's re- leave that in. <laughs> I deserve to be called out for my idiocy. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I'm just uh, Mark. Mark's temporary resignation. Uh, he they uh, another tough defeat for Killing Karen. Another final they lost to Division Two uh, League final. Well beaten, apparently. Right. Worst rainstorm Mark has ever seen or played in uh, happened during the game. So. Yeah, poor Mark. He's uh, he's at home licking his wounds today. Anyway, so maybe we'll see him later on this week. We're like we're like Peter Keenan here. We're getting very used to good at using our squad. Uh, that's why you're back in here, PJ. It's like John Lynn is cast off into the the distance for three years and comes back in and actually has a great game on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it, it's uh, it's always good to come off the bench. I mean, like one day I might become a starter. <laughs> if you let, you'll have to invent the four man weave, I guess, which could be a little bit complicated. Particularly because we've only three mics. <laughs> I forgot Jonathan Lynn existed. I know we're going to talk about him in a while. But before, but before you go on, I'm going to stop you. And his name is Jonathan Lyne. Oh, okay. There you go. Another little bit of a Kerry pronunciation, uh, Kerry pronunciation class for you there, yeah? Yeah, I would have assumed it should be Lyne. Yeah. But, but it's like it's I've always heard it as Lynn, Lynn, if you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. Well, that's, well, that's like people who pronounce Shukru, Thugru. Shukru. Does that include the golfer? Was he also Shukru? I don't, I don't know how he pronounces it, but yeah. he's from Cork. Cork. Yeah. yeah, it could be different. It could yeah. be different. Those Kerry people with their language on. In wrong. an off season, we'll do a, a Kerry dictionary chat with PJ and he'll walk <laughs> us through all these words that we've been getting wrong all year. Can't wait. <laughs> but in the meantime, we're going to review the Super 8s games. Um, before we get into that, lads, there's only one place to start for me anyway, and it's the. I don't know if it's a scourge, but I don't like to see it. There's been a massive increase of palmed goals across Gaelic football, right? So I used to love, not love, I used to tolerate being allowed to score a palmed goal because you see a cracker like, Mark, or sorry Mick, I've talked to you about this so many times in this office, about the Cullum Cooper score against Cork when he got in over the keeper and tapped it over. And I thought that yeah. was brilliant. Um, I remember Damien Comer scored really similar, or even against Mayo, he nearly scored one. He nearly scored a point by a, a, a fisted goal, I suppose. But then... The Pam goes, I wasn't like, I don't really like it, but at the same time, you know what I mean? I'm not calling it for to be banned. I don't think you have to ban everything you don't like to see, but I just, I don't see a huge amount of skill involved in it. And then this weekend, I see people praising it. So you see Mickey Quinn, who I actually really like, and I think he's a good commentator, but he was tweeting at the weekend, 
quote, love seeing a palmed goal, support runner awarded and percentage shot. And now no, I'm willing to tolerate it being allowed, but I don't think it should be praised. I think it's a, an easy way to do it. Like we saw this weekend, we saw Dublin scored one, Tyrone scored one, Donegal tried to score one, which was uh, kind of a laugh for one, really, it was, it was, <laughs> um, which was discounted. But it, it's, it's, it's on the rise and I don't like it. Donegal's one was probably one of the funniest things I've seen uh, in a while, like where McHugh just couldn't decide what to do, accidentally it's, it's, caught it. It's and like then, he forgot where he was. And then <laughs> instead, of, instead of when he realised he caught it, instead of like thinking, re- rethought, turn around, whatever, run back outwards, he just went, ah, shite, and threw <laughs> yeah. it into the goal. It, like, it was like as he was doing it, he realised, oh shit, I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is how you play the game. Uh, but that was very funny. I find that, I, I have to say, yeah, it can be an unsatisfactory goal. Dublin score one, I would say, in every game. Yeah. I, would, I think they get at least one a game. Like, and, it's just, and ultimately, it's just a sign that you've completely overrun the opposition. And that's it. Like, I, I had a few things to say when you were, t- I thought you were talking about banning it. Um, but you're not, so I can't disagree with you I can't, because I can't. I can't abide by banning it because I think it's a massive disadvantage to an attacking team who have literally left themselves two on one with a goalkeeper. Yeah. Generally, I know that's not every fist of goal, but what what it often is, and what Dublin's goals generally are, is goalkeeper has to come. The easy option is to just pass it off to the def- to, to the spare man. He fists it in. It's a goal. I don't understand the point of taking away that advantage from an attacking team. So, but, but you're not saying ban it, so it is horrible. Yeah, I'd agree. Like, I brought this up this morning, and initially I was thinking ban it when I brought this up at you this morning. And since then, I've had a I've had an epiphany, and I think you only ban the ones that are coming off a hand pass. So if it's kicked in long and it's punched, I think it's okay or a pound. But if it's a hand pass before it, and then what I think would happen instead, imagine how much crack this would be, right? You've got that exact that Dublin scenario. It's a two v one. Race down and goes. Let's say Mike Nemecali is after making break and McCaffrey's coming on his wing, and instead of him hand passing it up for McCaffrey to Pamelin, he hand passes it across and McCaffrey volleys, volleys it. Can he header it? Becomes, yeah, he can header it. Like, it becomes a way better spectacle. It's like you know those in football where sometimes they're really nice, where it's like in FIFA you're, you're coming through and he's like a squared back cross. He just hits it first time, like up five foot, the that kind of half volley or like a diving header coming across why why don't we encourage that instead so that he, or Michael Dyer's going on and he tries to kick it across and then you t- you pam it in then but the initial it's the one I don't like is hand pass hand pass hand pass mm. hand pass pam and it's sometimes it's the double pam push that but isn't Darren McConnell's like illegal, a slam dunk I would imagine like you know I think you, that, you'd like there to be a striking action I with, think, with, with the ball going into the goal then yeah I suppose if I was to argue anything against like Morris's proposal I would say that I find it very hard to legislate like wh- it, fair enough you have the ball in your hand that we can talk about fisting points over the bar as well and it's obviously banned for in the goal that like that is a set like not a set play but that's a possession and you can only do certain things with it. And I understand you can ban it from that. However, if the ball is loose, and one of the ways you're allowed to connect with the ball is by hitting it, punching it, whatever, with your hand, it's very hard to legislate that specifically for a score, I think. And I think it's kind of unfair in a way. But what they could do is legislate it properly, or referee it properly, so that if you're pushing the ball, if it's a pushing motion rather than a striking motion, you take it out of it. And that makes them a lot harder. Yeah, It makes yeah. it a lot harder. You may as well header it yeah. as punch it. <laughs> you know, like... Whereas what they do at the moment is they'll get two full hands in the ball and they'll bring their hands downward, as you said, like a slam dunk, and it will just kind of fall into the net. There's no way you could possibly miss it. I, d- I don't agree that there's no skill in it whatsoever. It, it can appear that way at the end, but in the build-up, there's clear skill. There's movement yeah. of players, just like finding the player with the, like the, the hand pass at the correct height. That can be 
there is a there is a skill in that. There was a really good one in the the Ulster final where Kian Mackey played it for Connor for uh, Connor Madden, and it it was a it was a really perfect hand pass yeah. from Mackey because it, it actually I was looking at it and it looks like uh, it's like an alley oop in mm. basketball. Yeah. He, Madden, Madden, Madden doesn't throw it in like uh, like Owen McHugh did, but he he does he he pans it in. It, it was. It was an aesthetically pleasing uh, hand yeah. pass goal. But you know them when you see them that they're they're one of the good ones. Yeah, that's mm. a great point. But uh, like I, my my counterpoint is that I don't think enough that I th- can you imagine how much crack it would have been if he went up to header that ball instead of punching. And Mars, I, you beat Mars, if you, you advocating this, I think you're going to become the enemy of GA traditionalist but, everywhere. Everywhere. I think I don't think you should be headering those on Neil's balls. We had PJ did a lot a lot of work on GA concussion in the last few weeks. I don't think we should be adding adding headering O'Neill's footballs into his <laughs> <laughs> or he tried to do a Damien Comer and bicycle kick it like that, that's what, that has been the alternative in that scenario I think Comer was so opposed to the pound goals that he decided to go for a bicycle as my own said he's on board of my campaign here that worked out well yeah it yeah. did <laughs> what about fisted it over the bar though it's, See, that's, it's a long standing argument yeah that, that, the reason that these are connected is because I my my real complaint I suppose is that I think it's just an easy option and that's the classic reason given against uh, the fisted point that it's that's an easy option I think there's three scenarios here right you've got the the palm goal which we see and I think is okay if it's from a kick pass but from a uh, hand pass should be banned you've got the player running in on goal and just decides to pop it over the bar with the hand pass and we saw that a lot this weekend uh, probably the best example was Jason Foley did it for Kerry um, but then you've got the, a kind of a third scenario, which is what Tierney McCann did for Tyrone against Cork, where he's racing on the keeper and does neither and just is running on the goalkeeper, but just pops it over the bar with a with a kick pass. I think that's the, so like you've got a shot basically, but he's like, the goal is on, but he decides to put it over the bar, but doesn't fist it over the bar, just kicks over the bar. So you've kind of got like three scenarios. I The, the fisted point, like sometimes, I think like context is everything with those so sometimes it is an easy out and you should go for a goal like I think Hurley definitely should have gone for a goal Michael Hurley in the second half for Cork but then you've got one like the Jason Foley one so for those who don't remember this Jack Sherwood is racing through the middle he pops the ball in over the top Hurley is racing in on goal so he comes in he's kind of coming in off the wing coming in towards goal so Patton is coming out towards him and just off camera just out of scene I suppose McLean is racing back to cover his nine and in that scenario I think the only option is to hand pass the ball over the bar Mark who's not here to defend himself sent me a whatsapp immediately and he's like why didn't he go for goal there that was the chance to win the game and I was like, like how is he going to go for goal he can't aim across Patton because Patton is coming out towards him and McGlynn is on the line so his choice is to try and carry it around Patton and then shoot which means he's way more likely to get dispossessed or try and shoot through two players which isn't going to happen so the goal isn't on like, sometimes the goal just just isn't on PJ it was definitely like the right option from him there in that scenario but I do think uh, if you if he didn't have the option to hand pass if he wasn't allowed to hand pass it over the ball then players in general they'll adapt they'll It'll become yeah, more they, crack they, yeah they, they, it will it, maybe, he, maybe he goes for goal there yeah. maybe, maybe Kerry end up winning because of that maybe he, he I mean there was still room for him there to stick that over the bar with his foot he, he could have done that. I think, like, if you take options away from player, they will become players, they will, they will become more inventive in those, kind of, in those situations. I agree. Even if it's not a goal chance, as Morris is suggesting, he, it's a little bit more skill and it's a little bit tougher to do, but it's a lot nicer to watch. And, I mean, it's a, you know, you should be rewarded for the good skill. If he, on the run there from close angle, has to kind of take that little short kick 
you know the like the, sh- the, sh- the short back kick and it goes over the bar even if he doesn't go for a goal that's well taken I think you earn I think it's a little bit more earned there you know now it, it does again it takes away from my point of like should we be penalizing attacking options just because we don't really like seeing them or because they're the easy options when yeah. it is such a defensive game and nearly all the wacky rules that they're bringing in is to try and help attacking football over defensive <laughs> and one of the things we we're saying is let's take away scores from the game you know so I don't know and then the other side I would take of a, of a, of a fisted pass was an example I've mentioned to you a few times, Morris, which was uh, Gary Brennan scoring against Mead, Mead yeah. where the only score on was a point. So he was about he was about twenty five meters out, and he was running through. But there was a full defense ahead of him, and in a kind of a I, in my in my view, it was almost like it was it was almost a nicer and more impressive option to fist the ball over the bar than to pull up, stop, and just kick a kind of a plain point. And you kind of wonder what's the What's the downside of that? I, I, I wouldn't necessarily be keeping a rule for it, but, you know, that every fisted point is in this kind of travesty, I suppose. Yeah, and, I, like, it's, it's it's gas. Like, the one I mentioned there, the McCann one, nobody was talking about that, even though that was as big a goal chance as Hurley's on the other end. It was just because Hurley... Foley's, I think. Oh, I'm talking about the Court Tyrone game, sorry. sorry right, right. Uh, or Foley's, I suppose, yeah. is the exact same example. Like, do you think there would have been as much controversy about Foley's if he just kicked the ball? Like, it, it, it's got... It's perception changes everything. It's the fact that McCann even though he's in the exact same scenario and it's the exact same as much of a goal chance, he kicked it as opposed to hand passing it and therefore nobody complains about it. So like, even if the, like if, if, as you mentioned there, if Brennan had stopped and kicked the ball over the, the bar, the skill itself is probably still there, but I don't know if people would, be, like, people wouldn't be less up in arms about it. I just yeah. think the hand pass is viewed as, a, as an easy out. Maybe yeah. wrongly now. I suppose now. it is. Like, you know, I, I definitely think, I'd be interested in one of those kind of like league experimental rules anyway for that I think that they've I think they've brought in enough of those at this stage over the last few few years that I think that would at least be an interesting one I think in your original point about the Pam goal I still think I still think taking away a certain goal from a team who have done enough to have a two on one in the most offensive sport nearly in the world at the moment is so there's been a lot of as PJ mentioned as well there's been a lot of skill brought you to that place and it's not always about the finish. Yeah. So I think there's something... I think, I'd think i think twice about that one anyway. Right, so let's put it out to the people, right? We'll get a consensus on this. So my my argument is that an entire ban on the fisted point. I think we're all... Are we all in agreement on that? I'd like to see a trial. That's yeah. it. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's exactly and where I am. Yeah. I think you should be allowed to palm or fist a goal if it comes from a kick pass, but not from a, from a hand pass. Mick doesn't seem to agree, but uh, I want to know what other people think. I think that we can get this campaign going and we get it through. Lads, if they <laughs> we can get through something through Congress. <laughs> <laughs> we can't fix the fi- fix the, the fixtures, but we'll fix the feckin' hand pass. If, if they can get, you can't kick a sideline backwards in as a trial. Surely to God, we can get that you can't hand a goal in as a trial. This this. Well, if we're at it, can we fix the hand pass altogether then? So. Oh, that's more boring though. <laughs> but do you know what? There's a very, very easy one that referees aren't are ignoring. It hasn't been as bad. There was one week when I think there was six examples. I think I saw two at the weekend. The one-handed hand pass is necessarily illegal. Yeah, it's been allowed constantly all season. Yeah, it's just throwing it up and tapping it, Tr- throwing it up with the, and then hitting it with the same hand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I'm. That's less crack for me. It's definitely a throw. They're not doing the two motions, and I don't think you're allowed. With one are hand, are, are uh, they yeah. doing that a lot of time because their other arm is being held? <laughs> right, so it's a free. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before, uh, we'll talk about um, Ross Common and Dublin lads quickly. Uh, how many as quick as you can, Mars? Uh, how many extra players do you think Ross Common? Ross Common went down to fourteen men. Let's talk about that first, the red cards. <laughs> um, so, 
and something we've talked about in the office a lot about Mick since I think the Galway Kerry League game is some rep managers seem to have a policy when somebody gets a yellow card taking them off and and I think we, there was a fair amount of agreement and it's probably widespread that that's a ridiculous blanket rule to take somebody off when they get a yellow card but I don't think get somebody getting a yellow card is not a reason to take somebody off I just think context is key and in the case of Connor Daly on Saturday I think it was so obvious that as soon as he got the first yellow when he mm. was punching the ball for Mannion, he should have been taken off. Like you don't, the red miss was so obvious there and I can understand why. I mean, he's been totally overrun. There were Connor champions that came in and like it must feel nearly humiliating to be so far down so early in the game and know that there's another 35 minutes of that coming around the corner. Like I can understand why you'd be frustrated but at the same time, I think once that once you see that happening like as a manager you should be like get him out of there like get, save him from himself Andy Cunningham is still like a relatively new to this Rathcommon job maybe it takes a while to recognise that in your players yeah. when you know that I need to get this guy off here he's he's not, he's not doing what I need him to do like yeah he yeah. is now a risk at the same time though you saw it probably in the and I mean like yeah. uh, as we've talked about in the office before Mick it's yeah. like the the dailies do have that streak in them that um, like he needed his own brother to intervene against Tyrone to calm him down. I think that was actually Connor calming down. Denial, Niall, though, you're right. He was yeah. doing it with pure. He was furious. Was, yeah. The the real fury was in Connor that day, but he was actually calming down Niall, fire who, fire. who seemed to be doing everything he could to be getting sent off in that one kind of five minute period um, last week. But then for it was the kind of opposite this week. But like, yeah, it was that we definitely saw the kind of the yeah fire. I think yeah, might yeah. be the best word in them, and we literally talked about it all week last week <laughs> because it was it was something that me and Morris noticed. It was just one of this really really funny moment where the referee was trying to calm things down, and Connor was like looked like he was going to kill his brother on the pitch, and then for this to happen. This a week, week later, it's, it's really sad when something like that happens that it does flip. But I I agree with you that you know. Yeah, you're right. I think, and as, I think as well, if you're looking at backs in terms of the blanket rule, I think you know there was we mentioned it, um, it in, to change sports in the hurling a few like when Paul Murphy got a yellow card in against the first Galway. few minutes yeah. against Galway, like Connor Whelan, I think it was that exactly, was on him, yeah. just kind of ran ragged, and you knew straight away that Murphy's in big trouble here. This is a really, really big yellow card for Galway, and. Murphy wasn't taken off and he probably should have been even 10 minutes into the game you know that's just the way it is now you can't you just can't risk it it's too big an advantage for the other team like you know yeah. so and to reiterate that point like I think what we're both in agreement on here is that having a blanket rule that no, no matter what if you get a yellow coming off is stupid like you need but at the same time taking somebody off because they're on a yellow card isn't a bad idea like it just depends on the situation so on that situation you had a cornerback marking Galway's best and most and quickest forwards on the inside line where if he goes past him it's literally a goal and it was probably right that you take him off like that was he wrapped his wheeling up and took him to the ground early yeah. that's how he got the, the first yellow a scenario like that was an every good round I think he actually got the second yellow for five fouls subsequent to that and then similarly at the weekend when you see when the red miss is down it's just it's down just get him off I think just yeah. save him from himself at that stage because uh, you know what's going to come and yeah. the second like the second one was just petulant. Like, it was just kind of kicking out somebody's ankles. It was, Silly, like, you can like, understand yeah. why, I can understand why it happens. I can, I can only imagine how frustrating it would be. But at the same time, I think you should just, just get them off. Thrones one they did, like, so last week, they took off, like, uh, that was mad, yeah, against Roscommon. He was probably the right one to take off because the cornerback, but like, you know, at the same exact time, somebody else. Kennedy, forward, yeah. Yeah, midfielder, yeah, got, he got, 
so suddenly they're making two subs in the first 20 minutes of the game and you're like Jesus this is stupid you know you take off the cornerback you probably don't take off the midfielder but then this week they did it so often that they actually couldn't do it in the second half because <laughs> when Donnelly and I think two more people got yellows and they were just like we've already made four subs here like there's <laughs> half an hour to go in the game and they were losing like and it was like they'd nearly made all their subs already it was just getting to the stage where it was becoming wasteful taking off these lads after getting yellow cards so because of that red card Roscommon went out with 14 men in the second half and when you think about some of the scores that Dublin kicked in the first half like there was that um, that's been shared a lot online now the con point when he jumps lands basically by doing the splits and then turns off and Brightly didn't didn't hurt his knee the way he the landed, way he landed he, was, he was so weird yeah he just, like an incredible strength there in his in his in his knee I guess like yeah yeah and then like but at the same I was watching that and I was like what would you have told it was Daly wasn't it it was Niall Daly that time he was on what would you have told him to have done differently there like he was right up behind him when he went up in the air he actually made contact just before he went in the air he was there beside him as he took off like one on what would you have told him to do differently I think he did all he could and he and he couldn't mm. stop him which got me thinking. Like what he probably needed was just an extra body, like an extra body in front of Con. And, and I was like, how many extra bodies would Roscommon have needed to compete with Dublin? Like how many extra players would you have had to give them in that as game? As well as Connor Daly back on the as well as Con- so you So for the second half, you can have Connor Daly back plus how many for it to be competitive? The, the more realistic one that how many players should we take off Dublin? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe this is a separate conversation. So if Dublin had two red cards... Right, if they Dublin had two, two red cards, they would have definitely won that yeah. game. So you're saying that with 13 players, they would have won. How like how low could you go? Do you like? I think I, if, I, I, I think ha, How long do they have these players? For the second half, 35 minutes. I think they. I think if they had, and it's starting at a, are they still hammering them at half yeah. time? Yeah. I think Dublin could have 11 players if they had a big lead. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think for the whole game, I would fancy them to scrape it out with 12. It could go either way at 12. And then a, th- a thirteen Dublin are definitely winning. <laughs> like you're th- you're talking about. I'm I'm not joking. Is it ridiculous? Yeah. But it's ridiculous. You're talking about a third of a team there, and there's a really good argument that they, if you take a third of a team off them, it's one easy. Was it twelve? I ah, know. I think it's close. You think it's close? Oh, I think it's a very close game. If if Dublin are playing, it starts off twelve against fifteen for seventy minutes. I think, I, 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 yeah, no, I think Ross Cowan would hang in there <laughs> and it would be tit for tat a little bit. Like, they'd have to, you could see the couple of goals. There's no way around it. Like, you know, uh, is, is this how we stop the Dublin machine for every year? They continue to win, <laughs> every year they continue to win in All Ireland. We take a starting player off them yeah. until they eventually lose. Yeah. Do the so, championship. so when they win 20 in a row, or whatever, it's just like, you know, Stephen Cluxton on his own and goals at 50 years old, <laughs> kicking it out to nobody. <laughs> Before we move off this game, it, like, isn't it? It's, I think there's, there's two different arguments in this. From a, a, a opposition teams who are going to play Dublin, I don't know how you analyse a game like that. I don't know what you can take from it. When it's, and it's been that way all year. And I think that, that in a way is kind of is sad, really. And at the same time, as, from a spectator's perspective, like it, was, it was so boring. Yeah. <sighs> so boring. It was, it was, I turned it off. I'm not going to lie. I actually I got so fed up watching it it was pointless it wasn't sport it just you know midway through the second half you're just at this point where i'm trying to watch and see whether paddy andrews is in form or whatever but who's he's not he's not being judged he may as well he literally may as well be playing train he may as well be training yeah. there's no way to to monitor anything what's happening it's a non-contest and it's look I'm, let's not get into 
debates about structure and stuff like yes I know we will in a wider sense but or the Dublin fans you know who can blame them at this stage you know I know they're they're going to see the best team of all time but it's not a sporting event worth watching it yeah, just it's just no a spectacle yeah simple as that like I do during the early in the second half there was a period where it looked like Gavin started to have like take take mercy on Roscommon <laughs> maybe it was partially like wanting to try out some players but he took off uh it was Kieran Kilkenny uh, Paul Mannion, Conor Callaghan, and uh, Jack McCaffrey in the space of twelve minutes. Yeah, it, it reminded me of uh, during when Dublin played the underdogs back in uh, October, oh. November, <laughs> and Dublin Dublin's like D team were up by what, they were up by twelve points or fifteen points after like twenty minutes, and whoever was managing Dublin that night decided, you know, I think I'll take off Johnny Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> John, Johnny Cooper is absolutely destroying whoever was in like the. The, the underdog's full back line. And it felt a little bit like that last oh, against God. Roscommon. And they're the Connacht champions, lads. Like, you know, that's... They, uh, Roscommon plays some nice football. They, they are capable of playing some nice football. There was some nice football played against Dublin, but... Roscommon are a good team and a threat to every other team in the country. They you know, are not going to win the majority of games against Kerry, Donegal, Throne or whatever, but they give them all a good game. They lost by four points last week to Throne, if, who are arguably the second best team in the country. And like... What's the point? Like, there's just no chance against with any of these teams. If that game had been played in Tullamore, what, what would the score have been? <laughs> same. I, I don't know if it would have been the same. Yeah, I don't I, know I, if it I, would I, either. I, I, would, I think it would have been more of a game. It, it might still have been double digits, but it might have been a game where you're thinking, oh, Rothcombe probably got something out of that. Right. I, I don't know if they got anything. No, we're not. We're not getting like into analysing this. You can't. A hammer like that. You can't. No. You can't analyze like that. Let's talk about. It's just court. sad to see. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think everybody's in agreement. The only thing I was holding on for uh, when I say I turned off the game, I was watching it knowing that Dublin had one sub left, and I just really wanted to see Bernard Brogan come on. <laughs> and it was like he'd been named on the bench for the first time, and I thought, and it was more just a test to Jim Gavin to see does he have any sentimentality left in him at all, like you know, or is he just one hundred percent robot these days, you know, and the decision was taken out of his hands because bloody Michael Darren McCauley got a black. a black card for mouthing or something. I don't know what it was. He was standing just in front of a sideline and then he was just randomly black card. It was really weird. It was like, and so he brought on the defense. I think he brought on Davy Byrne and, yeah, was yeah. Not, and then Dave McIntyre on Coventry just said, yeah, no run out today for, uh, for Bernard Brogan. I just went, uh, I think I'll just go and watch Line of Duty. <laughs> so to reiterate, I'd rather watch something about Ben Copper's PJ than <laughs> Dublin winning more matches. To, to reiterate, no more fisted points, no more palmed goals. Dublin to get players taken off them as the games go on until they're down to 1 versus 15. Or That's, we have a Super All-Ireland where we play an entire championship without Dublin and then they are like the final boss and they play against whoever comes out of it at the end so we don't have like, to watch them all year. It's a crash bandicoot. I love that format. <laughs> <laughs> Cork Tyrone, lads. Uh, and this has been a weird season for Cork. Like the in so many different ways, and we talked about this on Friday as well. But just to go back over it, their under twenties gave Kerry a hiding really in the monster final. They started the year by getting relegated, and there was all kinds of talk coming out there. They, Two Division Three, one must point out, yeah. not even you know, to, yeah, like to so-called B championship. Playing, territory. playing a horrendous brand of football while doing it as well. Um, had a players meeting, started to turn around, put up good showings against. Sorry, they bet Limerick. Bet them well. Put up a good showing against Kerry. Best leash in the qualifiers. Again, a decent showing for what an hour against Dublin and similarly against Tyrone. But the 
this is the thing about perception again like the fact that they're given some sort of signs of progression is enough to get people probably a bit more excited again yeah well that's like my thing on it is it's i find it very strange i feel like that they got relegated to division three they've won two games against leash and limerick they've lost all three <laughs> fairly comprehensively you ju- if you just look at the scoreline yeah. so if you're just looking at the the history books they were well beaten to Kerry in the end or what was it no, it was close it was a point wasn't it was it? Yeah. Oh, I thought that Kerry stretched away at the end. Anyway, look, I could be wrong about that. They lost the Munster final at home. Um, Three or four, I thought, yeah. I, they, I they were obviously hammered by Dublin in the end, and Throne ended up having a few points to spare. They, they were in that game against Dublin up in, with like quarter of an hour to go. But that's literally what I'm about to say, is that in all three games, they were it's three points, they yeah. lost the Munster final by fine, sorry. But in all three games, they were massively in it, and there was points in the game where... You thought, Jesus, they could win this, right? Definitely. In all three, even for a moment in the Dublin game after the Connolly penalty, there was like, is it? Is is there any possibility? You know, you ask yourself that question. Maybe that's the best I can do there. But in the other two, you thought they could win. And they played some great football in all three games. So, right, they're out. We'll see how they get on against Roscommon and maybe they end up. But either way, I think they're coming out with a season in credit, hmm. despite results actually not being there, but they've probably played the top three teams in the country. I do wonder how they've turned it around, because this time last year, they were they played Tyrone in a qualifier game, and they didn't look like they wanted to be there. This is the, it's like the yeah. same group players, under the same management, and I, I, I do wonder how they have managed to turn it around. Well, what has changed for them? Because, like, after, in the in the Munster Championship, we were, we were wondering, like, jeez, could Limerick beat them here? Mm. And it's a, it's a remarkable turn in form. Um, is it, but isn't it, like to what extent, PJ? Would you put it down? To, like, well, I know, sometimes I talk about the difference, like without getting analyzing games, conditioning makes in teams. And I think that was actually kind of obvious. In turn, like, the, part of me was was wondering why, like, and I saw this view elsewhere as well. Why did Cork change tack? In the second half and start to drop a bit deeper against Tyrone I think a lot of that is down to just being wrecked like they were they were like you can't play as taxing a game as they played in the first half for 70 minutes it's just it's a really hard thing to do so I, I think sorry go on you see you saw Brian Hurley going off and the commentators were just like oh look I mean I know he hasn't been on his best but what are you taking him off for he's still a danger man and there's a close up of him at the time on the bench and he looked like he was about to collapse and the same thing for Sean the same thing for that's why they took him off dick the same thing for um, Sean White came off the exact same reason Mark Collins played out the field and he came off the exact same like the reason they're coming off is because they're shattered they were wrecked at the stage and they were trying to with them. So, but to what extent, PJ, do you think the change on in Cork could be put down to the fact that when we watched them in the league, you saw one of Hurley or Luke Connolly at the edge of the square and everybody else dropping back. And now you see Sean White playing along the 45 and getting loads of possessions and dropping in and getting the ball and leaving Connolly. I know Collins dropped out, but they still had Luke Connolly and Brian Hurley up. Like the fact that there's a bit more of a... So I sometimes I think this is way too much more complicated. You're going to run up better scorelines if you give your attackers, especially players like Luke Connolly and Brian Hurley, more of a chance to get on the ball. And I think that is a lot of what has happened with Cork. They're playing a system that didn't suit them. They've evolved to one that does. And now they're just trying to bridge the gap with areas around that, like a squad and athletically. I'm sure like, that's probably definitely part of it. Also, you wonder when you start playing a system like that or more more attacking football, players probably just enjoy it more. Absolutely, and, yeah. And like you're willing That's to huge, you're yeah. willing to put more into it. Like it it does it does like seem like a little bit of maybe it's just like pure effort in the end combined with uh, a ch- it's like a little bit of a change in tactics. How do they kick on though, Morris? Because my worry would be right. 
you're saying PJ is saying same management right that makes me question that because why were they doing things the other way we're talking about the conditioning that also makes me question management and all but also it makes me worry about them playing division three football next year followed by you know let's face it a monster championship that's as weak as it can be you know just by they're only going to have two games for yeah. start even you know one game leading into a monster final and it's like how do you get your conditioning up to that level how do they make sure that this isn't just a a, a, a morale boost rather than an actual building block i think yeah i think that's like a like it's this is a really boring thing to say but it's a, it's a long-term process like that's also what it'll come down to and it also will come down to like how mccarthy this is a, a bridging period i think for cork like what needs to happen next is he needs to get like Stephen sherlock coming on as late as he did i thought that was a bit odd um but sean poacher when he comes back i think it'd be great this under 20 team that we're talking about now like they need to be invigorated into squad and the same way that we'll talk about this with Kerry later pj the way that they've brought through minors under 20s has actually been quite astute like there's a clearly a level of thinking gone in behind it and i think that's that uh phrase i hate transition is what they need to manage now like it's about there's players there and I, we don't necessarily need to go into names but i mean even i remember saying this to you make after the monster final there's guys there who are clearly on their last legs and who like it it's it seems ruthless to call them and that's what i'm saying like they can still have a role but ultimately that has to be a way more diminished role and you need to replace them with quality that is clearly there i guess yeah i, I do wonder like they started this, they were so low early on. There's kind of parallels here with uh, Kildare last year in the championship, how low they were. Then they had uh, the Newbridge or Nowhere, and like they just didn't build on that yeah. afterwards. So you do, they do need to like not just like say, God, that was great, and not, not think about how they can move on from there. They, they really just need to sit down and think, think about how they progress. Yeah, I wonder does being Cork work for them or against them there. One is that they'll have the resources and they'll have they've the got support and everything, well, and yeah. they've got the Corkness, yeah. <laughs> but then the other part of it is that Cork don't, they're not the county for the slap in the back and say, hard luck, didn't you play well, you know, even though you lost. They're not a moral, they're not a moral victory county. And you just wonder, like, are they feeling the way about themselves mm. or are their fans feeling about, about them the way we're talking about them pure positive I think they might have fallen so low and so few people come out to see them in the Munster final that that might be the case but I'm just saying don't, don't underestimate Cork thinking that they should be winning All-Irelands all the time in both sports you know Lads on this thing about systems right and Cork changing from one to the other the Tyrone I suppose progression has been very interesting because we saw how they started the end of the league and the start of the championship and we all talked uh, about the need to do this why they need to go more offensive and then the Donegal game happened and they were cut open again and again and were really as we talked about at the time their conversion was terrible like they were really inefficient with possessions and reverted back to type which is basically a really mobile 14 coming back behind the ball and McShane up by himself and then they found themselves down against Cork and it was interesting that what Mickey Hart did his answer was A he made three changes at half time so he saw Donnelly uh, Hamsey, um, McGeary, they all came on. Cassidy. And then Cassidy, sorry, McGeary came off. And the B, he pushed Donnelly back inside. That was his, yeah. his solution was to go back to playing more attacking, despite the fact that they were, like, I just thought it was a really interesting reaction. Like, they were cut open for Lockery's goal. He came right through the, it was right through the middle. It was the area uh, Colin Cavanaugh would have swept before. Like, that was, they were defensively cut open. And his answer was a attacking solution, which made me think that he never really, that system was never abandoned. It was just kept in cold storage. He knew the 
defensive normal football was less likely to go wrong and they weren't going to get tripped up in qualifiers but that is I think he I, has been slowly developed still as something that he recognises they have to change, play if they're going to meet Dublin which everybody's talking about that's the ultimate target if they're going to meet Dublin again in an Ireland final they have to play it differently and for me that was the that was him kind of showing his card a small bit that this is something that they still will do and you saw the result of it I mean Donnelly was in, was incredible for him he, we've got Roland Allstars here um, which you can see up on, on our social uh, every week and I think Donnelly has to be in it now he was amazing yeah, yeah. but we were arguing for him last one, of, one, one or two of us were arguing for him last and he week he needed so one think, more good performance yeah, I think, he yeah. Got it, yeah. do you think you can turn a game plan like that on and off like a tap like they, I mean like you, you, need, you need to work on it constantly. if you're practicing both yeah you, that's yeah, I, yeah but, but if you're just practicing them in training but like in real like real game situations, then it is kind of different. Like when you when you do come up against Dublin, surely you want that like finely tuned. Like I think you probably don't like. What, what I was thinking is that if you were to unveil it in a game like this, where you think you're going to win anyway, you wouldn't because you don't want to like the you don't want to give Dublin ample time to prepare for it. And it's it's out now. They know what they're they're going to do, and that I well I think you would see Dublin do. I actually think they'd play if they it goes at McShane and Donnelly. Dublin would revert and put two players in front of him now I think I, I, I think that's the only solution so that you would if McShane is being taken by let's say it's Philly McMahon or even if it's Roy O'Carroll which might be slightly more likely and Johnny Cooper takes Donnelly you'd have somebody like Brian Howard and somebody else like you know Sullivan or James McCarthy in front of them that's where I think Dublin will go and I think you don't want to give a team the chance to know suddenly we might have to drop two players back there you're trying to keep that under wraps I suppose like it's it's the oldest thing like we talked about Kerry have played different so when we talked about this on Friday's show as well like different systems kind of little variations I suppose throughout the year and I think that's probably where I, I just think it was interesting to note he didn't abandon it because it was there was what it was yeah. his fallback his plan B was to go back to it my guess would be though that like maybe it was a system designed for Dublin and they were going to play it all year and then what happened against Donegal showed that they can't afford to do that because it's a system designed to play against Dublin and not everybody else yeah. and they, they would be caught and they wouldn't make it through to qualify. Is that not for management if though? If they tried that. No, I'm saying if that's the case, that is. Yeah, of course yeah. it is. And then they maybe. But if he thinks that was how they played best, the other option, it could be a lot simpler. It could be we're losing the game by two goals. Uh, you know, we need to have a little, we need to score a little bit more. And should we can't be caught open any worse than what we've been anyway. So we'll just throw somebody else I'm up, just yeah. wondering. Yeah. I don't know. Like there, there, sometimes there might be a simpler solution. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like a lot of this is hindsight analysis as well, which um, like you were, you were, you're never going to predict that might only go back into the inside forward line, I suppose. Yeah. I don't know. Like they, what, so what did they, they tried in the All-Ireland final last year with like... It's very, at the, in the last couple of minutes though, it was late. Yeah. It was really late. They were six down at the time. So, yeah. so but I... The the game that would have been probably most had in was not that game but the league game when they bet them in Crow Park with they played two boys up front, uh, up top and had the similar like uh, really mobile half forward line to cover that kind of space and try and make sure there wasn't too big a gap. Yeah. Um, on that idea, let's talk about Kerry and Donegal. So the game of the weekend, absolutely, yeah. Game, uh, game of the season, game yeah, of the season. yeah. Um, it's class. So imagine if it was knockout. <laughs> say no more. There was a lot of people, uh, including people in this office, reminding me when about my analysis of the Kerry Mayo game when I thought that Clifford might come out on the half-forward line and how he got it wrong. 
Um, so I don't think it's fair to revisit this game and our analysis on Friday and how much we got right. Um, so we said that James only wouldn't play. And by play. we, you mean you, Gary, and Mark, and me and PJ weren't even here. Uh, <laughs> and you were the one really doing it. So. Uh, we said there would be no James. I don't know who ended up being new inside forward. We thought it might be Gavin O'Brien or Tommy Walsh. It ended up being Spillane. I thought it was interesting. Um, we'll talk about that in, in a minute. We said Shane Enright was going to take Michael Murphy. He did it and actually did a pretty decent job. We said that... Kerry weren't going to press up even though it seemed to be what a lot of people were arguing they should do they were going to get let Pat and take the, give him the short one and then try and turn him over there I think that was reasonably successful I actually liked that we also talked about Paul Murphy or one of we thought it would be Murphy or Sherwood depending on who started sweeping and not going over the half forward line and that's what Murphy did I actually think he did it really well he did, um, yeah. and then you got something like Gavin White who was living with Ryan McHugh until the black card I actually think they were they were nicely set up for each other and then we also talked about Jack Barry not starting um, and it proved to be a double whammy when David Moore didn't start as well um, but the fact that Kerry put in the forms that they did in the absence of their probably starting midfield has to be give courage like as a Kerry man PJ you must take some pride in that I'm very encouraged by it because you saw how important David Moore was against Mayo he was like he he changed the game from from the league, from the league final where they were they were kind of bullied and maybe, maybe that was down to an overall kind of change in Kerry's attitude as well that they they were far more aggressive in like in the tackle and it wasn't just Morn but maybe he kind of set the tone yeah. against Mayo so to see them then without him who he is he's probably the leader on on that pitch because there's, there's not many not very few older players on that on that team like Ganey and O'Brien who, who aren't like O'Brien they're both kind of late 20s but yeah to see, see those younger players uh, kind of step up in this game and really put up the probably the second best team in the country is I, I still think Donegal were probably the better team in that game but to see like uh, Kerry step up in that game was really was like really really encouraging yeah <laughs> hold on <laughs> On, on that really era? Well, uh, well, they were up against the second best team in the country and Donegal were better than them on the day. I'll tell you that Michael Murphy and Ryan McHugh were the two best players on the pitch. And for me, and Donegal got an equalising score to, to draw the game. That suggests to me that Kerry were the better team on the day. And I think that Kerry are a better team than them. And I think that Donegal are going to be hard bet this year. They're a very, very good side. And like Jesus Murphy, when he's like that, he's just unplayable really isn't he just all determination but for me I, I was really impressed with Kerry yesterday I really was I, th- I think they're and I think I actually it's funny me and Morris talked a lot about the Munster final and about how underrated their performance was but I, th- I just there was signs in the Munster final I think we've seen it more every week since um, that Kerry are just kind of coming to a peak you know and I think that all their best players are in really really good form at the moment I thought Stephen O'Brien was brilliant again at the weekend Gainey at his best performance in a few years uh, Clifford is probably quieter than he normally is and still insanely dangerous and you're doing it without your midfield as we talked about but Paul Murphy probably his best game of the year as well I know in a very specific role yeah yeah I know I, I, I agree with you. I think that like the, a lot of things about the carry performance were the fact that when and we talked about this a lot the supply that was cut off to Clifford like that was something that Donegal had to do and it was interesting that Caelan Ward started I think I, I need to check this but I think Caelan Ward is the only player to keep Clifford scorers from play he did it in a league game last year in 2018 in Bally Buffet he, was, he marked him um, and I'm nearly certain it was only Clifford's second or third game and kept him scorers to play and I don't think it happened again hmm. um so it was interesting to see him start. I thought he was going to take Clifford and then McMinniman... Well, did he start because was McGee injured? Yeah, so well, well, we, we thought... There was a lot of talk about whether or not... So we knew Oman Gallagher was out. Yeah. There was talk about 
McGee, McGrath. which was going to be, uh, yeah. And then the third wh- double whammy was that McGrath was also out. So you suddenly you lost McGee and McGrath. And you'd, the, yet still, Darrell Boyle didn't start, which was interesting. Ward did. So when I saw Ward starting, I thought he was going to take Clifford. McMinniman did it instead. And like did a really good job. And we, as very certainly here, we described him as a flyer, Mick, because of how good he is going forward. But he's, he's very good defensive as well. At the same time, any time Clifford got him one-on-one, he scored. I think all three of his, his points, when he came back in on his right in the second half, that was exactly what happened. He finally got a one-on-one chance and he wasn't kind of crowded out, which happens so often in that game. The fact that Spillane stood up while he wasn't doing that, I thought was, was really interesting. The Donegaler, like, I was so I was sitting in the Cusick stand for this game. I wasn't on the, the Hogan side, I was on the Cusick stand and it's only when you see it like that. Tony Gall are such a mobile team. Like they've got so many middle tier players mm. who get on so much ball and are really quick to get up and help their attacking play. So initially it looks like wow, Brennan or McBearty are are isolated almost. And then you see somebody like like Langan coming on a massive runner coming on the ball or Ushin Gallen when he came on the, Ushin Gallen's two points when he came on were incredible it's, they should be shown to any young forward in terms of great movement you wouldn't flaw to defender for either of them like his first one was on his right but he was coming around on the loop to kick on his left and then double back the direction he came from and in that direction as a defender you're just snookered you can't you're sprinting flat out to keep up with him on the loop and then he comes back onto his right and at that stage you're just relying on trying to jump in and get a block and it didn't happen his second score that was on the, the Cusick stand side. So that was in the 71st minute. They were a point down. This is a 19-year-old who's come off the bench and he's screaming for the ball. Like you can hear him roaring, give it to me, give it to me. Finally gets it, takes two solos on his right and comes back in on his right. And then you're like, so he's going to get a shot on him. But that's option closed off. And this is, again, we're considering the situation where he's chasing for an equalizer score and doubles back onto his left and just slots it over the bar like as the easiest thing in the world. I thought that was a really impressive score. Mm. And that, like, the... My main takeaway from watching this game is that when getting football is played like this, it can be class. Like it really can be class. And even though Donegal are, and this is going back to so many past episodes where we've talked about flying Galway and Tyrone and all this kind of system talk, there is a way to play defensively and still move the ball well and be a really both effective and entertaining team. I think it's the game which showed the incredible depth of both squads. Like in to reinforce the point that Donegal are the second best team in the country. They did lose their starting midfield in the middle of that game. They lost their entire full back line before the game. And they still put it up the carry. Yeah. <laughs> this wasn't great to see. Yeah, well. <laughs> good <Also>. point. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, you, you, do you remove your uh, suggestion that I was Yera-ing <laughs> earlier, earlier on? I know, there's definitely a, there's a hint of Yera in you. Like, but... Uh, <laughs> No, it's a fair point. Donegal were fantastic. Actually, I have a very, very small point on um, it. It's nothing to do with the flow of the game or anything like that. But there was one score that I just wanted to highlight where Michael Murphy, again, it's kind of coming from, it's it's getting how you be defensive and attack at the same time, laid just an inch perfect kind of uh, long ball into Paddy McBrearty. And then McBrearty recycled it, maybe three passes, and then came back on it and just had one of the most beautiful strikes of a football I've ever seen for a point in the first half. I don't know if you remember it, but I just... There's, I think sometimes we can we can talk about the negatives of the fist points or whatever like that, but just a beautifully kicked football is one of the most glorious things in the world. And McBurdy did that at full pace off his left. for that. It was just one of those wonderful scores that probably just went a little bit under the radar over the course of the Yeah, game. he's the gas player. When he, hits, when he strikes, you know... 
the second the ball hits his foot, he's one of those players. If it's gone over or not, like there was it's one like he, a, a golfer picking up his tee. Like yeah, because yeah. there's a, there's a one when he hit the he hit it off balance, and as he let the ball down to his foot, you knew oh this is going this is going wide. He just didn't have that like it's like a pendulum, the normal like lovely swing that he has. But like, Langan's point, funnily enough, was similar on his right. It was just like it's like a perfect the it's going back to a, a golf tee. It's that it's like the this is this archetype, but it's everything about it is perfect. He's head down, but head over the ball, ball down, he's kicking straight through it. You know it's going over before it's even left his boot. And when it doesn't happen, you know it's going, he kicked two wides in either half and it was the exact same thing. Before it even hit his, the ball hit his foot, you're like, oh, this is, this is going wide. Mm. I'm going to push the hype, like the throttle on the Kerry hype machine a little bit here. Just yes. a little bit. Go on. <laughs> from, from the Kerry have brought through 13 players that were from, from the 2013 minor team run who were involved in the 26th uh, on Sunday. That's Which impressive, is, wow. Well, it's in, like, in a very impressive number. So you've got Killian Spillane, Michal Burns, Tomas O'Shea, Tom O'Sullivan, Bruno Begliak, Shane Ryan, Jason Foley, Gavin White, Sean O'Shea, Graham O'Sullivan, Darren Moynihan, Dermot O'Connor and David Clifford mm. there at the end. Which There's is, a- uh, they were, like, for quite a while in Kerry, there, there were suggestions that they weren't bringing through these Myers. They had all this Myers success, but they, they weren't doing anything with it. They yeah. weren't exploiting it. Whereas that game at the weekend where a lot of them like really stepped up yeah. when, when, when in the absence of kind of older kind of leaders. I think it's sure that they are starting to exploit yeah. it. And, and to, you're already talking about a few big names there, even before you get to Clifford. Mm. Like, yeah. And to kick on that point, Peter Keane's use of his squad as a whole, I think, is, is great, actually. Like, mm. You got somebody like Spillane coming in to make, for his debut and was brilliant. And I th- think he's played inside forward he played against Cavan in a league game and was kept scoreless um, but the fact that he had such a big impact you got players like Jack Sherwood and Jonathan Lynn uh, <laughs> who, uh, who looked like they were going to be dropped off the panel last year and yep. then like the I'm, I'm kind of I'm loath to praise the John, 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 John Lynn was dropped he was gone from the panel last year under Fitzmaurice and, and uh, like Sherwood as well was he, he presumed he was done as well yeah so it, it is a sign that like Peter Keane does look beyond these younger players as well for for resources. And on that, right? So John John he plays for Clarny Legion, wasn't involved for Kerry Mayo, so played against they played Staxis they played Karen O'Reilly's last week and he played that game for his club. And because he wasn't playing for like can, isn't it shocking that playing games actually helped a player? So played with with his club and came, comes on in Crow Park, catches two balls over Ryan McHugh's head and actually has a huge impact on the game. Now I'm loath to give either I, I don't, I'm not allowed to give Peter Keane a huge amount of credit for that because I think that should be the norm. Like yeah. it should be, players outside the 26 should be playing with their clubs. And at the same time, even the like, players in Kerry for having those club games there, like, I'm, I'm kind of loath to praise them for that because if, you know, if you're going to cater to that, why Cordell GA were had to throw a game that this weekend because they were going to watch Philip O'Connor, like a young lad who's captain in their juniors. Um, and you should see, like, you should watch around Coral or Castle Island. There's a load of signs. There's a lot of hype about him. They're obviously going to go up and watch him. I don't understand why he can't cater for that. So I'm loath to give praise for what should be normal. Like, I think that that's it's a good thing to see. I think it's a great thing to see. But it should be normal that if you're well, it's like, let them go and play with their club. Sure, they're not rusty if they're not playing any football. Exactly. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about like, say, if the Dublin players aren't allowed to do that, and you're looking at Kevin McMenamin or Paddy Andrews, it's like. What football are they playing? Their mm. career is passing them by. And they're winning all Ireland's and it's brilliant and they've had great moments. But uh, generally, Dublin, they're, in their, they're in their early 30s or whatever and they're just not playing any football. The Dublin A versus B team are the two best. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brian Cody with the whistle. <laughs> Brian Cody swallows the whistle for Jim Gavin. Jim Gavin's off doing something else, yeah. 30 second winch time, lads. 
Uh, I'm going to go on this game. I'm going to go first because I'm presenting this podcast and I get to decide. Um, so Mick, will you count me in? I will. Right, so I want to talk about, I'm going to break my golden rule and I'm going to talk about refereeing here, but in, like, I, I don't really want to complain. It's more, I think it was comical this weekend. So I was in Crow Park on Sunday, as I mentioned. And in the first game, you have a situation where the referee arrives out wearing the exact same colours as one of the teams playing. So Mayo, who wore their wake kit last week, don't forget, come out and wear their wake kit again and the referee comes out wearing black and has to change into green at half time. Then you have a scenario in the second game where right in front of the referee, Sean O'Shea is trying to attack and he's doing everything he can to get free. Time's up. I, Go on, finish your point. I, I, I think this is, it's such a classic cop-out, but in a scenario where it's as, as, like it's so glaring in this scenario. So Sean O'Shea, Kerry are attacking. Like the, Sean O'Shea wants to be as far away from his man as possible. He doesn't want to engage them. By the same token, they don't want Sean O'Shea in space. So you have a scenario where Sean O'Shea has bowed his hands out and he's been pinned to the ground. He gets back up and he's pulled down again for a second time on the same side where Kerry are attacking. And then when the attack finishes, the referee goes back and gives them both the yellow card. It, it's illogical that he can't identify can't read that situation and that nobody else is he actually pointed over to the sideline which made me think he got word from his linesman to do it but then you have a scenario at the very end of the game when again Carrier attacking and Paul Brennan is literally sitting with his knees on top of Clifford making no play to get to get off him or get involved in the play and Clifford's trying to get up and once more the referee does nothing about it and like my my main gripe with this stuff right is is not I think so much right now has been stacked in trying to manipulate the game to be in favour of attacking play. That's what we keep trying to do. And I think if you merely enforce rules that exist, you do way more for attacking play than by bringing in new ones. And the biggest thing is what's happening to players like, and what happened on Sunday to players like Jamie Brennan, David Clifford and Sean O'Shea off the ball and tackling that. So I've, I have no issue with... You're like, about three minutes now instead of 30 seconds. You've used your full quota of championship. When you say I'm, I, yeah. I, I he skips it some weeks. It's, so a, word, it's, it's a wordy cause. It's, it's, it's a, <laughs> so, so there's, I have no issue with... Like you see, there was a great shot on Sky Sports on Saturday of Philly McMahon and Connor Cox uh, talking to each other, and you get this, the classic people giving up. Oh, look at Philly McMahon, and nobody do nothing about him, you know, verbalizing or whatever it is. Like, and it's like, well, Cox is talking back to him. Like, I can't imagine he's please stop, Mister McMahon. Like, I imagine he's saying something back to him. So I don't like. I've no issue with that stuff, or even the like kind of celebrating scores or celebrating blocks off the ball. What I'm talking about is the, like literal foul play. I'm talking about like holding two arms around player making no effort to get involved yeah. hold, grabbing a guy by a collar and not letting him go which was happening constantly in the game yeah. it got to a stage where as I mentioned I was in the, the Cusick stand and Paul Ganey sprints in to talk to the linesman because, and he's pointing at Clifford and the linesman sends him out he's waving him away like it's right in front of you and you're just dismissing players like that I think it's it has way more of an impact on the game than any of these other rules that we're trying to, and it's so easy to fix. Yeah, definitely, and also, like, let's not forget that there are, uh, f- you know, how many? How, geez, I couldn't even remember there how many, but there's seven pairs of eyes out there. It's not just the referee. You know, you've got four umpires, you've got two linesmen. There's no reason they can't be brought more into the situation. And if that means changing the rules, and they're the rules to change rather than the actual playing rules, you know, um, I. <laughs> Well, I just go with my 30 second yeah, mention. It's, it's, it's sort of slightly related to what you said at the start. Fair. Um, I, in fact, I only thought of it when you said it. Okay. All right. Three, two, one, you're away. I am bloody sick of watching. It, it's been bad because of the clashes in colours, but I'm sick of watching both teams wear their away jersey in these games. And there's no. It's just like. 
And, by the way, mayo, navy and black doesn't go. Can somebody just tell mayo <laughs> that? It's absolutely disgusting. It's one of the worst jerseys I've ever seen in my life. It's not because of the luminous that everyone else would have a problem with. It's because navy and black doesn't go, right? But also... I don't understand why you can't just toss a coin and one of the teams can look like they're actual teams. Yeah. I was watching the 1996 All-Ireland Final last week or whatever and there was nothing wrong with that where Mayo just wore their normal colours and green and, and, and I know time's up, yeah. Mead changed theirs, uh, which was fine, by wearing green shorts and their home jerseys. So basically everyone was wearing green and they thought that the green shorts was... So, okay, okay, I'm going to... I'm going to admit that things have come on a little bit than rather just letting everybody wear the same colour. But my God, you only need to change one team. I 100% agree. PJ, wine time. Okay. I think I'm ready. Two. (laughs) No, here you go. Marty Morrissey. (laughs) (laughs) I could stop there, but I'm not going to stop there. Marty Morrissey, not every goal is a rocket. Not every ball is floated in. Not every penalty that's scored is a great penalty. And not every shot that's saved is a great save. Sometimes, you know, the, the penalty goes in. It's not just, it's, it's, not, it's not an amazing penalty. PJ Brown from Ballyduff, County Kerry. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're nearly out of time and we're also melting in this room. So we'll talk about Mayo Mead finally. Um, before we do actually, right? The format as a whole, like the, I know, the Kerry game was great. It was really enjoyable. But there is, like, has the I think we're at a stage now where we can judge the Super Eight experiment, and that's what it is. It's a three-year experiment. And at this stage, is it fair to say that the Super Eight experiment? Is, I'm not going to actually an open question. How do you think the Super Eight experiment has been so far? Mick, I'll go to you first. I think it is a failure because I think it is generally. I'll tell you what. I th- Kerry and Donegal played at the week. If they had both, they both won. Kerry would have played Mayo in the All Ireland quarter final. Donegal would have played. Um, who did they play the week before? Mead. Mead. Okay, they would have. They they wouldn't have been any better occasions than they were. But Donegal and Kerry, that would have been an All Ireland semi final played in a packed Crow Park, and we would have had another game the next day, and it would have been do or die, and it wouldn't have felt like they all had a get out of jail card next week. And I think that that, for all the benefits of maybe, you know, so far a lot of the games have been boring. That would happen with quarterfinals, semifinals anyway. But I think that you have an element where even though we might get one or two extra good games, what we lose is that crunch quarterfinal, semi... Well, we're still going to have the semifinals, but I feel that we lose that, that real element of do or die that it feels like at this time of year... That should be the case. Now, I mentioned this yesterday on Twitter, and a couple of people came back to me and was like, what would Cork or Mead have to say about that, right? And their argument was, these teams get extra games, they get be brought up to, Exposure, the, to, yeah. to, to the next level. And I'm a bit hypocritical here, because there's a part of me that always thinks that's the case, and that you need that, and you know that we need to make sure that we're continuing to grow the game, and that these teams aren't left behind by some sort of elitism. But I'm not sure the All-Ireland quarterfinals is the place to do that. Mm-hmm. And also, that's not the reason it's here. It's so that we can have Mayo oh, play three yeah. games, or we can have, you know, and uh, that's nothing to do with Mayo. I mean, you know, Mayo would be out yeah, at this stage. Yeah. They haven't played well enough to still be there but they still are hanging on they're still alive because of this system and that's what it's there for that's fine i understand it i'm not massively against it i think that we're losing a lot and at this time of year i don't think that when there's only going to be two teams left in the hurling championship next week 
I don't know why we need to watch a dead rubber between Roscommon and uh, or it's Cork, sorry, Cork. Yeah, you know, um, it doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense that we're talking about the literally the GA's prime season, the time where it's above everything else in the way we talk about sport, the way we cover sport, the way we watch sport. That right at this point, we're having dead rubber games that are for nothing, all so that we can have oh. It, Nobody wants to talk about the other three games that are going to happen in two weeks. They only want to talk about the Super 8s are great because look at what's going to happen because we've got Mayo and Donegal and Castlebar. But sure, I'm sorry, but we have good games all the time when, when it was knockout. I don't see, you know, would we have, we might have missed out on this specific game, but we would have had another one. PJ, do you agree? How do you feel about Super 8s? I don't love them, far from it, but I still think there's, there's something in there, there's some kind of merit, and I think they'll probably make tweaks again. Uh, next year they probably will bring in this uh, neutral game outside of Crow Park it just makes sense oh, it's just, yeah, like, like, there was so few people at at those games over the weekend there was 85,000 people to watch eight teams it's it's terrible yeah it, it's like to br- bring those games to provincial venues you'd, you'd have far better games far better atmospheres there was like th- those games at the weekend you had two of the three most populated counties in the country Involved in those games, and all you could get was like a total of eighty five thousand. Right. What are uh, they for, though? Like, what's what's the benefit of them? Is it so that, like, you know, oh, we got rid of all, we've given everybody their chance, and they've lost, and now we can have the real competition without them. You know, that's what it feels like to me. And the fact that Meath and Cork are in there as the example of what you can achieve isn't. That's more the the exception than the rule. You know, like it's 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 going to be seven of the top eight teams in the country every year. And that's grand. Like, but you know, and hopefully we get to a stage where that gap is closer and we have six teams on the same level instead of one off on their own and everybody else chasing. But you know, there's definitely, there's a merit to the idea. I just, I don't see the need for it. I have to say. Yeah. I, I do. Like, I think when the tweaks are made, it's very GA here. They've, they start, they came in with this idea. It seems like they didn't really think it through fully and by the end by the end of the third year maybe it'll be it'll be at the point where Joe, it'll, it'll be like a really good season next year and everyone like yeah you know it was pretty good so they'll probably end up hanging on to it yeah I think they'll end up hanging on to it I do I think there's money to be made from the extra games I think the most sad thing about Super 8 isn't what they happened after introduced but what happened before and that was in 2017 uh, the J announced an increase on gate receipts across the board the Mayo quarterfinal had a massive factor in that and the increased costs for the same finals and quarterfinals. And I think that there was a certain element of you make hay when the sun shines about whatever happened after that. Um, we'll move on, lads, because in past podcasts, we've been criticised for not talking about Mayo enough and our solution has been to go an hour deep into a podcast and not talk about them winning a game against Meath. Um, Mayo, Mayo fans have criticised us for not talking about Mayo. I'm just asking a question there, sorry. Uh, yeah. Right. Mayo fans? Yeah. Jeez, I wouldn't be like them. <laughs> well, on Mayo, right? Like, uh, uh, Apparently, I'm ask only myself, joking. I'm only joking. Apparently, uh, myself asking them, asking myself, not asking them, I would never put this to them, uh, asking myself in Quebecers one day, are, are Mayo actually any good? Like, are, like, <laughs> the, like, like the, the, they wait for an hour and that's what you give like, them, for well, fuck's sake. Let me, let me clarify, right? The... I think Mayo will be a very good team when Ruan and O'Connor come back. They're two. I can't stress the impact that those losses had and the difference it makes to like literally everything in terms of lines in the field, um, 
their kick out outlets just sh- I'm talking about sheer outlets who you can kick a ball out on top of when Clark is, has that press on top of him and he doesn't know where to go to but at the same time like all year like Mead were I, and rightly strongly criticised for their Leinster final showing and their conversion there um, their May- Mayo's wasn't much better on Sunday it was actually really close to the, to Mead's yeah just, without Mead's improving at all really. yeah like, like yeah. They're, they're both like in around 50% I think like the, that really kind of like basic execution I'm talking about the kind of like rudderless stuff like the sometimes their kick out strategy was really weird and they've had a week when they knew this was coming to work on that the fact that like they've got so many players with a huge amount of promise who I think would be really good players but right now there still is that bridging where you're relying on the same old faces to get you going in the Theo Shays Andy Warren off the bench who was incredible like the what what Andy Warren generally does is come off the bench kick three scores and get everybody going but the Andy Moore who played on Sunday was coming out the field getting on the ball around the middle of the park spraying like a pinpoint accurate 45 yard pass coming in on the loop he set up like Killian Connor wasn't even in the game until yeah. Andy Moore got on the ball and started creating stuff elsewhere it's again it's occupying defenders in another area of the field but the fact that he has to do it even when and I think a lot of these players will develop to be very good players but the fact that he has to do it now like how right I'm not talking about how good Mayo will be or how what James want to get out of them I'm talking about right now like how good are Mayo it's hard to know it is quite hard to know I mean Mead were still in that game with 10 minutes to go or yeah. so they were, they were down a point and then Mayo came with like a Tyrone kind of like burst and yeah. just kind of blew him away ended up winning by 9 which I mean like Mead were in the game against Donegal the week before it, it, it you know, Mead aren't a bad team here. So, yeah, Mead seem to have their own pattern. Yeah, to, to worry about, I suppose. I yeah, I think you're right. I think that's that's worthy of comment. And the fact that Mayo were able to go and do that, to go and like it was weird. I remember like 63 minutes. I was like, it's weird that Mayo. I thought Mayo got lucky, but like there was still a good bit of time left, and they'd already turned it around at that stage. And I think I'm probably a bit premature in saying that actually at the time, you know, because they they did what they had to do when the heat was on, like, but they were relying on Moore and they were relying on McLaughlin, and that that would make me worry as a Mayo fan. Now, there's a part of it that's like you've got these guys once in a lifetime group of players, like you know this team may never won in all Ireland, but they've come as close as any team will ever do without winning one, and they played in four All Ireland finals and. They're a team of legends. Like, you know, Mayo aren't going to have this every single team that comes through. Yeah. And it's going to be hard to kind of move on from them. And they're always going to be there. As long as they're playing, they're going to have an impact. And they're they're still part of what the team is. But are the next generation, no matter how good they are, ever going to live up to that again? You know, and I think think if you're a Mayo fan watching it, and I, I saw a lot of them saying it, in all fairness, all joking aside, a lot of Mayo fans were like, look, we've got a chance against Sonny Gall next week. And if we'd come into the Super 8s with that, we'd have taken it. And I, I don't know if there's the expectation that would have been there three, four years ago that they're going to go on and win All-Ireland. I think they're just hanging on. And I think there's a certain kind of like, we're going on one last journey with these lads, uh, with Moore and with McLaughlin, with, you know, uh, Keegan Higgins, and all yeah. that. You know, Higgins especially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Boyle, all these guys, right? And it's like, they, they're with them till the last you know yeah. what I mean these are the guys that they've been watching for the last 10 years and they're going to savour every moment that they have with them which I think is class you know but I don't know if there really is an expectation of another and I think if they were to answer the question honestly they might answer your question of how good are they as not good enough you know and I think they'll they'll believe going into it but it has all these hallmarks of uh, Donegal are playing so well for me 
next weekend or in two weeks time has all these hallmarks of that last it's going to feel like a bigger game than it's going to be and I have a, I have a bad feeling that Donegal could come out and hammer them I, yeah see I think it's like I mean we can talk about this. we'll analyse this game in two weeks I think it could be the opposite I, the, I think the, the Mayo to the gun like gun to the head the, uh, you can't underestimate how much benefit they get from having a week break like this the, this finally yeah, breaks the, the, the breaks of run of games that they're on the fact that we know that O'Connor and Ruan are both back close, like the what that allowed them to do, even just tactically, you'll, uh, O'Connor will come into the half forward line. You'll, he'll cover all the ground he normally does, but he gives Clark somebody else to hit. Like it got to a stage where Mayo's strategy ended up being they had Bolin started and Vaughn was playing on the wing and they did two O'Shea's in the centre, and they got to a stage where their get out of jail card was kick the ball out towards one of the two shades and he'd break it and try and get one of Vaughn or Boland on it because they're not you can't kick it out and expect them to compete up in the air like if Boland is at one stage he's on Donald Keohan if Keohan will clean him out over the sky so that ended up being their out so suddenly you've got primary possession with O'Connor or Ruan or both hopefully uh, in terms of from a spectre perspective back in and I think if that happens you've got a gun to head got a rest like yeah that game will determine how good Mayo are but the the fact that it's in those scenarios I can't help but see Mayo turning up and we're getting into we've decided to not talk about Mayo Mead and preview Mayo Donegal but I can't help but expect that they'll come out and like flat to the mat and mm. give the line that end up being a cracker I think this season is a little bit different for Mayo in that they have brought through younger players and in the past there has been a feeling of we, we have to win the All-Ireland this year we, yeah, have, we yeah. have to do it That's this year point, and yeah. in the long term you probably end up suffering because you're not bringing through those younger players and they're not like a step up the following season and may, maybe like they'll probably end up benefiting in the long term yeah. from this season and from, from be, getting to the Super 8 this year and being, yeah. in, the, being, in, these being in these huge games yeah. yeah has James Horan come back for one last hurrah or has James Horan come back to build the next All-Ireland type point yeah if you're bringing through those young players then you, you're definitely thinking longer term yeah. than, than just this season and in well, which case there's a th- that's exactly like they're in the perfect place because mm-hmm. you're going out with a good chance of getting to an All-Ireland semi-final if everything goes right on the day you get to kind of not say goodbye because they're not all going to go by any means but you're going to witness another great day in a packed stadium with all these legends but you're seeing the next generation come through as well and there isn't that urgency that might have been there three years ago on, on this generation like of Mayo players I, they definitely go down as one of the best teams ever great one of the greatest teams one of the ever. best football teams ever yeah, yeah I'd agree with that there's sure. no doubt like, I yeah. mean they, they push Dublin which is the best team ever Super close in two All Ireland finals, and just because you don't win three All Ireland finals, sorry, three, yeah. yeah, just because you don't you don't win games doesn't mean there's not success there. It comes down to what you judge success as, and just because you don't have a medal doesn't mean there's nothing to be proud of. That is, we're about to crown Dublin as the greatest team of all time. If Mayo were the team that almost beat them three in three different finals, four different matches, then you have to say that they're at least among the best of yep. the teams that, that have been around over however many years. GE podcasts aren't the place for that kind of nuance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the final point I'd make on that, uh, I actually know the answer. If I'd asked, um, I was on the side with all the Mayo fans on, on Sunday and I've absolutely no doubt that if I'd asked those fans and uh, should have seen the reception they gave Colin Boyle come off, lads. Like they, they, they were nearly ran out on to greet him off the field. Like they would have carried him off on his shoulders if they had the chance to. But uh, Boyle, when he came off after he got man of the match, so he was the last player to leave the pitch, and he was giving them a thumbs up, and they were absolutely roaring. And throughout the game, there was a couple of like classic, 
like Guam Boiler moments where like he'd, he'd lay somebody up when they're making a break just to break down attack and he'd take the yellow card or he'd put someone out over the sideline and that seemed to galvanise the crowd and I've like the from seeing the Mayo sport up close a lot recently if you're to ask them like how good are they for the team they tell you good enough like they, they're good enough for that support they the connection there we talked about it, the supporters Jesus can you imagine what Super would be like if Mayo weren't in it <laughs> last year <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right um, that's it before we go please do rate and review the podcast um, we ask you that that of you so regularly because it does matter um, we'll be back on Friday To we're back to hurling we are yeah that's exciting the forgotten sport <laughs> we knew this would happen um, we're back on Friday to preview the All-Ireland in the meantime take it easy enjoy the weather 